It is. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to be um, like front seat witnesses to this. It, it just blows me away. It, it actually just um, drives me to tears to watch that video. Um, Derek did a great job with it. By the way, the materials that you hold in your hands this morning and the video that you just saw, we did all this stuff in-house. That We didn't hire somebody to do it outside of New Hope. Um, just blessed with really talented staff people to be able to put these things together. If you're new to New Hope, first of all, welcome. Really glad that you're here. You've stepped into a very unique weekend. We've been planning for this particular time for a long time. This is kind of like a benchmark for us. So this particular weekend is not like others here at New Hope um, because it, it represents something special. It's a culmination of what God's been doing here for the last nine years. So I want to give you a 30,000-foot view. Whether you're brand new here or you've been here a long time, I just want you to follow this thought. Since day one, since we launched in 2007 as a brand new church, the vision that God gave us for this church has been incredibly clear for two things. God made it very clear that what we're supposed to be doing is strengthening believers. That's one And on the other side, we're supposed to be introducing those who don't yet know God into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It's a very simple vision, but it's exactly what Jesus mandated. Jesus said in the Bible to teach the word accurately. It's it's a mandate we take very seriously. We're also told to love each other authentically. We're told to worship God with all of our being, with all of our heart, and to pray persistently to seek his wisdom. So those four things help us accomplish those two things. Again, the two things are to help believers be strengthened in their walk and to take those who don't yet know God into a relationship with God. And so through those four things, we do that, learning, loving, worship, and prayer. If you've never heard it before, it's on our ink pens, all right, in the pews in front of you. And it's on all of our brochure. It's in all the material. Learning, loving, and worship, and prayer. By those four actions... We are a biblical community. That's what defines us. So my understanding is this. Because we've stayed true to that vision, because we've followed what God called us to do, we have been able to witness his hand of blessing in ways that defy logic, things that I'd never experienced. I've been in occupational ministry since I'm 23 years of age. And I've never experienced anything like what we get to be part of here at New Hope. Time and again, we see God continuing to show himself faithful. Here's an example for you of that. When we launched as a church in 2007, it's because this building that you sit in today was given to us completely free of charge, with no debt whatsoever. The individuals that had been meeting here at Grace Fellowship had decided as a church that if things didn't change, they couldn't continue on as a church. They were a group of 17 individuals. So what we were asked was, if we turned this facility over to you, would you launch a brand new church? And we said, yes. And their condition was this. They said, we have one condition. We want to be part of what you're going to be doing. Is that okay? I said, well, certainly. Of course that's okay. And so we started with those 17 individuals and with about 20 or 30 others who said they wanted to be part of this. So on that very first weekend, there were 40 people. From that beginning, God has taken us to this place where we need three services now in order to fit everybody in. Is that evidence of God on the move? Yeah, it is. It's evidence of God and his hand of blessing. So the list of ways in which we could give evidence of God's hand of blessing would fill a small book. 
It just, it literally would. I could take a long time to explain them all to you. But hear this. This venture has been a constant demonstration of God's faithfulness. So I understand as we continue to grow in numbers, and we continue to grow, and you'll hear more about that in just a minute, we grow every week. While we grow in numbers, it is about way more than numbers, church, because every number is an individual, right? And every individual has a story, and every single life story matters to God. Every one of us matter to God. So it's about way more than numbers. It's not about numbers. It's about the life change going on behind the numbers. What I desire to do with you this morning that's going to be so unique is, for one, I'm going to teach very short. I'm going to teach on 1 Chronicles 29. But before we get to that, what I'd like to do is walk you through this little brochure that you have in your hands this morning. If you received one of the white packets when you came in, you'll find pledge cards in there and one of these big brochures, and you'll find a little document that shows who the leaders of the church are. I'd like to take you through that piece by piece and and just hit the major points, not every single detail. If you didn't get one, would you want to raise your hand? We'll make sure we get one in your hand if you want one. Looks like everybody has one that wants one. Okay. So here's the um, couple details I want you to hear that are not in the brochure. The acquisition of, of the land that we purchased, you're going to see a picture on the screen that is of myself and Gene Post and uh, Steve Owen and Gary Post, and this took place on, I think, um, June 30th of this year, right, right near the end of June, when we signed for 13 acres um, up on Saginaw and Newton Road on the corner of, of those properties, there's this new piece, this 13-acre piece that we are able to buy. And, and if you notice, you'll see a smile on our face, and the smile is there for a reason. And the reason is not just because we just signed some legal documents, but because the property is paid for. That's the reason for the smile, okay? It paid for it completely. It's free and clear. We own that 13 acres. And how God brought that about is just one more of those green lights along the way. So the next picture that you're going to see is the same one that's on the front of your brochure, and it's just an image, an aerial image of what the building could look like that's going to be on the new property. And I'm sure you're working your way through the brochure and seeing the different images. So here's the vision component of it. Why buy the land and and why build the building? Well, as we've already talked about, God's continuing to grow us. He's continuing to bless this church. He's making it really clear to us that as we make room... He's going to draw more people into this church. Can I give evidence for that? Yes. In 2007, we launched with one service. In 2010, we went to two services. In 2013, we went to three services. It's now 2016. Do you see a pattern going on here? Okay, if if we were going to continue the growth rate at which we currently are, we would say we're going to either have to add four services and maybe we'll have to do that before we get to the new building or we're going to have to do something deliberate to plan for this kind of growth. What I'm telling you is there are many confirmations along the way, many green lights. The reality is this, and say amen if you believe this, there are many people in the greater metro area who need to be drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, and we also know there are many, many individuals who have not yet found new hope as their church home, but God will continue to draw them in. So it's about those two things, finding believers and helping them be strengthened in their walk, and individuals who don't yet know God and drawing them into relationship with God. So let's transfer over and talk about the need. You see on the side there of the second page, the need is real. Let me talk to you about that. 
The current growth rate at New Hope is around 8%. And that's overall in the general church. But in children's ministry, we're growing considerably faster than that, somewhere around 13%. Now, if you consider the growth rate being faster in children's ministry, all you have to stop and think about is what age group is growing fast here in this church. By the fact that children's ministry is growing quicker than the general church at large should tell you that it's primarily younger parents who are being drawn to New Hope who are bringing their children with them. And so children's ministry continues to expand at a really exponential rate. Weekend attendance on a typical weekend here recently is around 600 people. If you only stopped, stepped back to April or May, you would find it was about 550. So you can see as quarters go by, God keeps drawing more and more people here. Weekend attendance is one thing. Um, amount of seating in the auditorium is another thing. But if you also went downstairs right now, you would find the children's classrooms are really, really full, wouldn't you? And the hallways are very full. And parents who have had to check their children in to children's ministry this morning found the security system kind of gets backed up because there's so many children. So the children's classrooms are really small. Student ministry makes the very best use of the space that they can. So if you came here tonight, this evening you would find junior high and high school students meeting, about 60 of them, with their great student ministry leaders. And they make use of this space and they make use of the uh, fellowship hall downstairs. And yep, on Monday mornings, fellowship, uh, the maintenance team needs to come in and re-straighten blinds and fix things and make sure nothing's broken. But this is the space we have. So we continue to use it because this is what God gave us. But quickly outgrowing this space, the atrium and the hallways are kind of choked. And I know that immediately you begin thinking of people who bump into you when you're trying to drink a cup of coffee, right? And when you're eating cookies, you're kind of like drawing your shoulders together because there's so many of us, which is a good thing, but that makes it really difficult to connect, very difficult to get to know other people when there's such limited space. So connection is really difficult. Parking, you'll notice that we begin parking on the lawn. If you look, you'll see cars parked on the grass because we're just out of space in the parking lot. We don't have any more room left. So that's another indicator. And I'll get an amen on this one. The restrooms are too small, right? Okay. Okay. And there's too few of them. There's just not enough for the amount of people. This building was not built for what we're doing with it. It was built to be a fellowship of 150 to 200 people in 1971. But this is a church today that's growing very rapidly, and yep, we're wearing out the hinges on the doors, and that's a good thing. I know that pleases God, but there comes a point when you've maxed out the facility. One thing you should know that's not in your notes, I don't think, is that we cannot expand on this facility's campus we have 2.3 acres here, and Meridian Township has made it very clear that this is it. We, we can't grow any bigger than what we are. Our parking matches the size of the building. The restrooms match the size the facility was built for. But we can't be any bigger on the property that we're on. So let's transfer over and talk about the cost. That's over on the opposite page, and you see what our estimate is. We're projecting, and you've probably heard both numbers, somewhere between $5.5 and $6 million dollars. Some individuals think it probably should be higher than that, but the best estimate we have is based on the cost per square foot. What we're thinking of doing is building something that's about 40,000 square feet. Construction for commercial construction is about $150 a foot. 
Scott Wheeland, who oversees construction of churches, has told me that he knows of some churches right now that are building at $220 a foot. Some are building at $130 a foot. We kind of took a medium to look at what might it cost us to build. The best we can target is the numbers that you see right there in front of you, somewhere around 5.5, maybe more realistically around 6 million. We don't know yet for sure because it hasn't been put out to bid. Here's the opportunity, and this is what I would love to talk the most about with you. First, I'd just love for an amen on this one. Is not the new property a fantastic location? It is. It is. It's just, how amazing is that? And if you were here last week, you heard Gary share the story about we didn't even know that when we allowed this place to be used for a polling location for voting, that the 800 people from um, that neighborhood who would be coming here would be our new neighbors. And we found out as they showed up to vote that this was actually the group of people who are going to be nearest the new facility. It's just amazing that God orchestrates things that way. So the location is absolutely fantastic. The auditorium, it... it Current projections looks like it would seat somewhere around 900 people is the intended plan for that. However, that auditorium would be very adaptable, meaning it will have a flat floor as opposed to a sloped floor, and the seating will not be fixed, like this is fixed seating. We'll be able to remove chairs and place chairs for different events, so it'll be very adaptable. Children's ministry will have a much easier check-in process. Security will still be very tight, but it will be significantly improved in the way that it flows. And do you notice how many children's classrooms are in that design? That's a really, really good thing. Very happy for Debbie for that. Student ministry is going to have this expanded area that is um, called a multi-purpose room. Because it's a very limited space, it'll have to be used both for students and for large group functions, but students will actually have a place where they can say, yep, that's where we meet, not necessarily in the auditorium, but in a larger room. The atrium is excellent. It's just a nice big space. It's got a green room attached to it for people who are new to New Hope and are trying to learn about it, maybe trying to learn about a relationship with God. It's just a place that we'll be able to tell people they can go and visit with staff after the services. And then the parking is just fantastic. And if you notice, the restroom issue has been addressed as you look at the plans. There's many of them, and they're nice in size. So all those things under the opportunity are really, really important to us. But I want you to hear this. The plan that you hold in your hand this morning is not the final design. If you feel like, hey, I don't see this or I don't see that, there's going to be a Q&A session coming up in a few minutes because I'm not teaching very long, and the leadership team is going to come up here and join me, and you're going to be able to ask questions about things that you may not see on the plan or things that have just occurred to you that you've thought, well, what about this? This is not the final design, and we really do welcome your input and your questions or observations you might have. Here's the last part on the brochure, your opportunity. In your envelope this morning is a pledge card. It may be still inside a number nine envelope. We didn't expect anybody necessarily coming today intending to commit their pledge card. You can do that if you want to. But we're planning on the weekend of December 3rd and December 4th for individuals to bring their pledge cards to the church. If you decide that you want to mail it in, or that you want to hand deliver it, you certainly can do that, or you can leave it here today. But I want you to hear this part, that the the pledge card is just a technicality. This moving forward campaign is an opportunity for this reason. It's an opportunity to trust God. It absolutely is. 
It's an opportunity to trust God. You're going to hear about this in 1 Chronicles 29 as we go into it. Here's how you get to trust God. You get to trust him to show himself powerful in your life. Because very likely, and I'm sure that's true of this service as well as it was in the other services, that there are individuals who are thinking, this is beyond my capacity to contribute, Mark. I'm already doing what I can. This, this is a big commitment. Well, yes, that is true, but what I'm going to challenge you to consider is, are you trusting God in the midst of this to show himself powerful? I'm going to let you read the last page, the prep for the future yourself. I know you can read, so you can look over that when you get a chance, but on the back side, I wrote you a note. What I'd love to do is take you into God's Word right now for just a few minutes. First Chronicles chapter 29, you'll see the verses up on the screen, or maybe you have your Bible with you, and I just want to show you a couple principles out of this passage. Um, hear this, this particular passage has been used by more churches than I can count for fundraising projects. It's probably the most abused passage in the Bible because I've heard it used so incorrectly over the years. People trying to, trying to take principles that applied to Israel and transfer them over to themselves today. Here's the reality. What God is doing in the book of Chronicles is working with the children of Israel to build the temple of God, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was to go. So it's a one-time building in which God gave them instructions about how to do it and what they were supposed to do. And he was very specific, even down to the point of saying, here's what the pomegranates are supposed to look like, and here's how much gold you need to put in it. God was very, very specific with them. So it's unique to Israel, but what we find coming out of this passage, it's got very specific principles for you and I today. Whether or not you're even going to contribute to the building project, there's things that you're going to see in this passage this morning which will apply directly to your life. So let me give you the background on it. King David is reigning on the throne, and he's very, very old. He's come to the end of his life, and he recognizes death is imminent. So he decides he needs to put a new king in place. God made it clear to him that it's supposed to be his son Solomon. So David prepares for Solomon to take the throne, but Solomon is only in his mid-20s. He's very inexperienced. He doesn't know what it means to rule. So David makes preparations in advance, and he even puts aside money for the construction of the temple because God made it clear, David, you got too much blood on your hands. You've been a man of war. You have shed too much blood. I'm not going to allow you to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build the temple for me. Now, if you read 1 Chronicles chapter 22 through 28, you're going to see all those details. But by the time you come to 29, David stands up before the assembly, and he says, okay, it's time to build. Here's what we're going to do. So look with me at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Then King David said to the entire assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. The first thing you should notice is why the work is great that he's being asked to do. Why is the work great? Because it's for who, church? It's for God, right? It's not for man. Now, does man get the benefit of it? Absolutely. Do we get the benefit of building a new facility? Yeah. We get a bigger atrium so we don't have to run into each other when we're holding cups of coffee and cookies. Yeah, the children get a, a better classroom. Yeah, there's a great place for visitors to come in. But ultimately, it's not for man. David declares it right there. Ultimately, it's about God. It's about what God is doing among us. So go with me to verse 2. 
Now with all my ability I have provided for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood. I'm not going to go through the whole list. It's a really long list of all the things that David set aside to give to the building of the temple. But here's what I want you to see. David's giving as the king is incredibly lavish. This gold of Ophir that's being referred to here, it's considered the purest gold in all of the ancient world. And David had it in his possession. He mentions talents here. Well, a talent was a unit of measure. A talent, one talent was actually 75 pounds. So as you calculate this out, what you find is David is actually giving 112 tons of gold. And he's giving 260 tons of silver. The total is absolutely staggering. But don't get hung up on the money. The money is a big deal there, but don't get hung up on the volume of it. It just serves as a catalyst. It does something. What you see unfolding here and what you'll see in the next verse is this leader knows something. He knows that every single person must have an opportunity to contribute to the project, to contribute to what God is doing, to take part in participating according to their capacity. Because we know it's not the size of the gift that matters, right, church? It's not. It's the intention behind the gift. So whether it's $5 or $5 million, it doesn't matter. It's the intention behind it. Because all gifts matter to God. Amen? They do. Let me back that up with Scripture. Look with me on the screen. 2 Corinthians 8.12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what he does not have. In other words, here's what David is doing. He's taken all of his resources and he says, I'm all in. I'm completely in. I'm putting it all out there. But then he asks a really pertinent question for what the masses are doing and for what you and I are doing. And there's two principles that come out of the last part of verse 5. That's what I wanted you to see. These two principles on the screen. 5b. Who then, this is his question, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. If I was to put that into modern English, it would sound like this. Are you ready to move forward? That's what he's asking them. Are you ready to move forward? These are two really significant words here related to a construction project. Do you notice what he's calling them to do? Be willing and be consecrated. I want to explain those two words to you. We'll come back to those in just a minute. Why ask them that? Because David has just reminded them of the activity of God among them. He's taken from 22, chapter 22, all the way to chapter 28 to say, here's what it looks like when people respond to God. Here's what God has done. Here's the preparation that God has made on our behalf. And he's reminding them of God's activity among them all the way through that passage. So it sounds like this. We've seen what God has done. We're aware of how he's acting. We've experienced his hand of blessing. I'm doing what I can. How will you respond? In other words, are you ready to move forward with confidence? So let's go back to those two words and understand why he's saying it this way. This word consecrate that's being used, it literally means to fill the hand. And it was always used of someone who was being ordained into the priesthood. This is very unique for you this morning. So picture this. I walk over to this door and I reach out with my right hand and take hold of this handle. If I'm doing that and I fill my hand with the door handle, at the same time, I better not be trying to use that hand to carry a cup of coffee, right? Say so the thought behind this is you're filling your hand completely so you're dedicating yourself to this particular purpose. That's why this word was used 
for setting people apart for the priesthood. What David understands is the money that people are about to bring, they're just symbols. These gifts that they're about to bring, they're symbols of giving themselves wholly to one particular object, to the purposes of God. So they're pledging themselves much like somebody pledged themselves to the priesthood. So this is really interesting to me. God is using the same word to describe giving to him as he does someone who dedicates their life to him. So when you participate in giving, God's looking at this as you committing yourself to the work of what he's doing. That's why we call these pledge cards, because you're pledging something to God. So literally, this is what David is asking. Who's willing to take a hold of what God's doing? Who's willing to reach out and take a handful of the responsibility and be satisfied in what God's going to bring from it? If it was in English terms, it would sound like this. Are you willing to join God in his work? Are you willing to participate in what he's doing? Watch their response in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, Then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly, and there's the second word I wanted you to see. Willingly is the key to all New Testament giving. It's giving under grace, not giving under command, but giving freely from the heart. It's voluntary surrender, giving completely to the Lord from the heart. So the New Testament talks about this a lot in 2 Corinthians. If you've not read the financial chapter before in 2 Corinthians, you want to read chapter 9. Because chapter 9 is a description of how to use money for God's kingdom. Here's an example for you of giving to God what you're willing to give. It comes from 2 Corinthians 9.7. It says this, Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what that's code for? That's code for the fact that God's not going to send you a bill, church, right? Okay? He, He doesn't do that. God doesn't send you bills. God says, I love a cheerful giver. I don't want somebody to do it under compulsion. I don't want them to do it grudgingly. I want them to give willingly from their heart. And that's what you see with these people in Israel to build the temple. Let me take you to verse 7 and 8. I'm not going to even read through it, but it's just a list of the way that the people responded. All the iron that they brought, all the silver that they brought, all the gold, and even the jewelry that they bought to build the temple. But I love verse 9, and this is where we're going to end today. Verse 9 describes the heart of the people. It says this in verse 9, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And really interesting, the bringing of the gifts causes a party. It causes a celebration. The people are literally rejoicing. You know what that tells us? There's no pain. There's no pain involved. Their response is because they're so full of joy that they get to participate. So that should tell you that these people understand the big picture. They've had the 30,000-foot view. They understand what the purposes are. We are a group of people here at New Hope. We understand the purposes of why God has called us apart. So I'm asking you the exact same thing. Who here, knowing all that God is doing among us, that he's on the move among us, Who is willing to take a part and reach out and grab a handful and join God in his work and be satisfied with what God's going to bring from it? Because we've already said there are many, many, many people who need to know Jesus Christ, right, church? We've said that. We've agreed that. 
We've also agreed there are many, many people who are going to be drawn into relationship with you here at New Hope. So how do we find the right amount to give? I know some of you have been working through that. You've been, uh, since we did the 90 days of prayer, you're working through the prayer journal. You've been talking to me about your, your prayer life in the evenings, the way that you sit down and work through this. How do you land on the right amount to give? I'm going to tell you how Lori and I landed on the, the right amount that works for us, but I'll do that in just a minute. I want you to hear me on this, though. How you land on the right amount is completely between you and God. Right, church? It's completely between you and him. You can't let anybody else put that on you. It'd be really great if the Bible gave us a flow chart. And, and if it said, well, your net worth is between here and here, and your annual income is here, so therefore you fit into this category. But he doesn't do that. That's why I say God doesn't send you a bill. If a fixed percentage actually existed, God would be give, making us give under compulsion. But he doesn't want us to give under compulsion. He wants it from the heart. So instead... Before I tell you how Lori and I did it, I want you to see that the Bible gives us two criteria. I put it in your notes this morning, and you're going to see it up on the screen as well. Here's the very first criteria. The Bible says to do it by the ability in proportion to the gift. That comes from 2 Corinthians 8.12. The ability in proportion to the gift. Let me show you a verse to back that up. We looked at it just a few minutes ago. 2 Corinthians 8.12, for if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So it's willing. It's willing. I don't know if I can say this enough. It's willing. You have to want to do it. And it's from what we already have, what God has trusted us with. That's the first one. But here's the second one. By the character, and this one might surprise you, by the character of the one who's doing the giving. Now, how do I support that from Scripture? Let me take you back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to show you just the first half of the verse. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. That character issue comes out of that verse. In other words, there's been a person who sat down and was deliberate. There's been deliberation going on. It's a mental process. A person who has thought through all the circumstances, all the ramifications of the response, and has decided, as a result of what I understand, I am deciding, I'm making a mental decision and a commitment to give. Now watch the second part of the verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Here's the complete verse. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to know that I would not ask you to participate or do something that my family and I are not also participating in and, and doing to the best of our ability. So I want to describe to you how Lori and I arrived at the amount. This may work for you, maybe not, I'm not sure, but I'll just tell you how we went through the process. So this last week, at, you know, we've been spending all these weeks in prayer together about this issue, and we're walking around in the backyard, and I said to Lori, did you land on an amount? She said, yeah. Did you? And I said, Yeah. And I said, but I'm scared of your number because it's going to be like huge. And because <laughs> Lori's just got this incredibly generous heart, right? Really, much more generous than I. If you're selling Girl Scout cookies, you know, she's your girl. Go to her. She's a very generous heart. And so um, I said, I have a process by which I'd like to do um, the revealing of the number. Instead of us just saying it out loud, how about if you write down on a piece of paper 
your number, and I'll write down mine. So we went in the house, sat down at the dining room table. She had a three-by-five card. I had a three-by-five card. And I closed my eyes while she wrote her number down. She flipped the card over. And then, likewise, she did the same while I wrote my number down. And she said, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. But I'm thinking, like, your number is going to be scary big. And she said, I'm scared of your number because I think it's going to be really big. And, and I will tell you, church, honestly, in that moment, I thought of writing down a monstrous number just so I could win, right? But... <laughs> I knew that that wasn't what God laid on my heart. So we agreed that what we would do is slide the papers across the table and exchange the numbers. And we did that. And sure enough, Lori's number was scary big. But what we had agreed on was that whoever had the largest number, that's what we would commit to. Right? So we agreed, we prayed in advance, we agreed to write down a number based on what we could afford to do. We had our discussions in advance. That may work for you, but I recognize somebody, some of you here may not have somebody to sit down and do that with. Maybe you can't put somebody across the table from you. So I just volunteer myself. I'll sit down and write a number on the paper for you, okay, if you'd like. <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. Now, I'm, really, I would do that for you, but in, in all honesty, I want to sum it up this way. We approach giving here at New Hope as a really, really high privilege. This will apply to you the rest of your life, whether you're in college, in your 20s, young professional, I don't care if you're 80. This will apply to you the rest of your life. Giving is something we get to do here on planet Earth that has eternal ramifications. When you give to God's work on Earth, it echoes in eternity. You won't know today necessarily how your gifts make a difference, but in eternity, to discover people who were drawn into the kingdom, that came to new hope and heard the gospel, who gave their life over to Christ, their life was turned around, a spiritual legacy. It's a privilege we get to do here on planet Earth, and it echoes into eternity. I recognize some people are going to struggle with coming up with a commitment, and I want to take you one step further with just one verse. You may find yourself wanting to participate this morning, or maybe over the course of the next two weeks, you want to fill out a pledge card, but you find yourself struggling, saying, I'm just not sure I can do this. I want to remind you, this is a faith exercise. So you respond according to whether or not you believe this, and you can say amen if you believe it. God cares for you in plenty and in want. He does. I'll, I'll say it for you as a statement. God cares for you in plenty and in want. So your God's ability is not limited by circumstances. Absolutely not at all. Why do I focus on God's ability? Because Scripture says it's about God working through you. It's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. I'll support that with the last verse I wanted to show you. It comes from 2 Corinthians 9.8. This is the financial chapter I was talking about. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, reminding them in a financial way in chapter 9, Here's how to manage your money. And when he gets to the conclusion in verse 8, he comes to this point where he says, it's God. God is what, church? God is able 
God is able to make all grace abound to you, this grace of giving that he's talking about. So if you feel like you lack capacity this morning, or you feel like you're struggling, God is able. So the full power of your capacity to give, the full power of your ability to join God in his work, it's found in God. So I challenge you, ask him. Ask him what he would have you do and how you would respond to this. We've presented the facts before you. Now it's up to you to decide. So what we're going to do is I'm going to close in prayer, and then Michael's going to lead us through one really cool song, and then the leadership team is going to come up here, and we're going to take your questions if you have some. It won't go very long, so I, I commit to you that if you need to leave, you certainly can do that, but the Q&A doesn't go very long, and I think there's things that we can learn from you based on the questions that you have. So let's pray first, and then we'll let the worship team lead us. Father, we come before you recognizing that everything that we've just discussed is very challenging on a human level, and we're, we're tempted to be even afraid at times. But we believe that you can do all things, and our ability to do these things comes from you. So we lean into you and the power of your Holy Spirit, that the purposes that you have declared for growing your church, for drawing more people into relationship with you, for strengthening those who already know you. That's our ultimate desire, God, to do what you've called us to do. So we put this before you and we ask that you would bless it and that the giving that we do would be echoed in eternity. Father, we turn it over to you and we ask for your hand on it in the name of the one who died for us and gave us everything. We ask for it in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.